Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Understanding how you think will help you improve your ability to learn. Understanding how others think will guide you in utilizing their talents to complement your own. Whether it's creative thinking, divergent thinking, or any of the other types of thinking, you will benefit from understanding and applying your style of thinking to critical thinking skills. In this episode, we take a look at eight different types of thinking. We define them and then talk about how they apply in the workplace and or in development specifically. But before we get started, Will, what have you been thinking about lately? There's a thing I do when I test stuff that's got like a bunch of different states. You know, I'll make an Excel spreadsheet and then you have like to the left, you have a group of states that are you know, kind of broken down like combinatorially. And on the top, you do the same thing. And then you fill in the grid cells so that you're making sure you're handling all the different potential cases for something. I do this you know, pretty much any time I have to test something like that. And I don't know what it's called because I was looking today. I was like, man, I bet there's an app that generates like an Excel file that I can just use for this. I don't have a word for this. I don't know what it's called. And I could not figure it out with my Google Foo what that's actually called. It's severely irritating. So if somebody knows, just send us an email. <laughs> right. Describe it one more time for me. Like if you have like a set of let's say you got eight or 10 different variables or well, probably less than that. Let's say, let's say you got five different variables and they've got a certain number of states. So like enums would be a great example or true false, right? Not ranges. And then you say, okay, well, I want to test all the different combinations of those and see how, how something works, if it works correctly. And so I make a grid with that, you know, with the different combinations of states and, and then I'll look and go, okay, this one's value is four here. And this one, you know, the other thing's value is seven. This one's value is true. And then see how, it, you know, if it does what it's supposed to do there and then check that off, right? There is actually a term for that. And there is. And I cannot remember what it is because I think I picked that up in college. Yeah. Yeah. It's something like, that's just like, statistics isn't the right class, but I think I learned it in like testing or something in psych testing. It's almost like a Carnot map. Yeah. For electronics, but with more potential states. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I cannot think what that thing's called. And I do it regularly, but I don't have the word anymore. No. Which kind of stunk. I was looking on Google going, okay, well, because if somebody could generate this spreadsheet for me, that would be great because that would save me five minutes of serious effort. Yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. So that's, that is annoying. Because I can't think of it either. I, I know there's a term for that because I remember studying it in school and I have no idea what it is. Oh, that's annoying. Well, hopefully it'll bug you enough. You'll figure it out. So how about you? Uh, yeah, it's, that's probably not going to bug me enough. But uh, anyway, I saw the Batman. Twilight guy jokes aside, it was probably one of the best Batman movies I've ever watched. Like legit, that was a really good movie. Completely different from any of the others. I'm not going to give any spoilers. Instead of sort of a campy or gadgety 
focus, it looked into the detective aspect of Batman, something that I haven't really seen in uh, any of the other Batman movies, really. Loved the whole film noir vibe. Would have been even better if it had been in black and white. Like I talked to some friends of mine who'd seen it and I was like, wouldn't it have been better in black and white? And they're like, oh my goodness, it would have been so much better in black and white. So if that kind of gives you a, a feel for it, great cinematography, amazing story, just really good. There's even more. I, I don't really want to spoil it. So uh, I may talk more about it in the aftercast. I may not, depending on uh, how everybody feels about spoilers. So uh, other than that, factory patterns are annoying, especially when they are overused and not necessary in the process of converting .NET, ASP.NET Core API that was built in .NET Framework to .NET Core 3.1. The project was started a few years ago and then set to the side as something more important popped up that needed to be done. And now we're picking it back up. And the reason that they weren't able to do .NET Core is no longer an issue. So we are doing .NET Core with it which is cool, but I keep running into this over and over. Just like it was over-generalized, over-factorialized. Well, over-abstracted. Abstracted, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, over-abstracted when you've got an interface with one method that is just a git that returns a string why do you even have this? Why couldn't you just pass the string? Like, I can't find any legitimate reason for it. That was well, a habit. I know people that always create an interface for stuff. And my thought process is, look, you know, if I'm going to have more than one of those things, sure, I'll create an interface. Or if I think I'm going to mock it for testing, I'll create an interface. But, I mean, just doing the interface thing, like, it's like, oh, it makes it more flexible. It's like, you know, I only want things to be flexible where they are going to need to flex. Like, soup is infinitely flexible, but you can't build anything out of it. This is going to be a fun episode. Uh, this started off as a conversation. My friend, her son is coming to, he's 20, 21, somewhere around there. Uh, so he started coming to the one of the men's groups that I lead at church. And she was asking how he was doing and stuff because he does have autism. And so, yeah. So she was like, you know, how's he doing? How the other guys accepting him and stuff? And I was explaining, I was like, you know, they've been pretty, pretty good about it. Like he pays attention when he talks. He'll kind of like, I was describing it as, as cluster thinking where he like, he thinks of things in like groups. And then he has to kind of go down each little path until he finds the one that gets to the next group that he's trying, like, to get to where he yeah. wants to go. It's sort of a s- all over the place is what it seems like. But I think that way, too, which it's actually the official term you'll find out in a little bit. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you guys. I'm going to let you figure out what I'm talking about. But uh, kind of go try out all the paths and then find the one that works or takes you where you want to go. I do that, too. I've gotten a lot better about it. Because I can usually do all that in my head. And then what comes out is mostly there. Sometimes I still have to talk around stuff if I haven't quite found it yet. But um, so I was explaining to her that versus like more of a linear thinker, which I just made those terms up off the top of my head because I couldn't remember the exact terms. And they ended up being pretty close to a couple of them in here. 
they're cluster and linear thinking are not actual things, but uh, I'll let you guys figure out which ones I was talking about as we get into the episode. Saving money is hard, especially when all you can think about is spending it. Lucas Casades is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, and just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan, but to take action on that plan so that you can live your best life. Investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your own finances. And with the help of Level Up, there's a compounding impact of making better financial decisions, which will easily pay for itself. Level Up has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. Lucas is also a fiduciary for his clients, which means he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. And you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics you probably face and interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their careers. You can also learn more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. We each have a unique perspective or way of viewing information in situations. While no two people think the exact same way, the differences can be summarized in different styles or types of thinking. There are many different styles of thinking, and most people are a combination of several of them. The types of thinking can be viewed on several spectrums, such as the spectrum from concrete to abstract thinking. Rarely will you see adults who are completely concrete or completely abstract thinkers. Usually they'll fall somewhere in the middle. It's most likely that a person will have a natural tendency toward one way of thinking or another on each of the spectrums that we're going to talk about. While you may favor one style over the other, that does not mean that you can't use the other style of thinking when the situation necessitates its use. Uh, For example, when you're writing SQL queries, you'll want to use more of a sequential thinking approach that will work best with that style of language, even if you're not really a sequential thinker naturally. In this episode, we look at eight different types of thinking broken down into four spectrums of thought. For each type of thinking, we discuss Uh, what it is, and kind of how it relates to your work. Specifically, what areas of development tend to attract that type of thinker. Then in the aftercast, we'll discuss a few things that you can do to improve your critical thinking skills. So let's get to the first one. Uh, Concrete thinking versus abstract thinking. Now, in concrete thinking, facts are the only things that matter. It sees ideas as specific objects instead of a representation of that object. Children start to develop concrete thinking when they begin to have object permanence. Yeah, so object permanence is when, for those of you who don't know the term, when you recognize that an object still exists even though you can't see it. So very young children, babies, do not have object permanence if it's not right in front of them. It doesn't exist in their minds. As they mature, usually around toddlers or a little bit older, they start to develop object permanence and concrete thinking skills. Is there an opposite to that for like the point when adults realize that an abstraction that's in front of them is not real? Uh, Not that I know of. I mean, there's quite a few who don't realize that. Yeah, I mean, well, like we all have that, right? Like I just was wondering if there's a term for it, you know, because I've had that discussion with people 
like with numbers, right? Numbers are not things. They represent things. If I take one and I divide it by three, I get 0.33 repeating. Yeah. And if I take that number and add it to itself twice more, I get 0.99 repeating, which is the same as one. Mm -hmm. There's infinitely close to it. Yeah. Asymptotically close, right? Yes. So it's interesting you bring that up because in education, when children are still at that concrete thinking, the way they teach numbers is through the little the blocks and stuff. Teach adding through like, all right, you've got five little blocks and you put it together and it makes one like long thing. And then five of those makes one like bigger. That's how they kind of teach that even up through multiplication, really. Subtraction and division being the opposite of those two. But uh, yeah, so they, they actually use that, that physical concrete to teach that way. Now, concepts are used in abstract thinking to create generalizations that relate to actual objects, events, and experiences. We start to develop this abstract thinking ability around the end of elementary school. Usually, they say around fifth or sixth grade, kids start to develop abstract thinking. So 10 or 11-ish for our overseas yeah. listeners. Oh, that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Usually a little bit before puberty is when kids start to develop this. Though, I mean, some kids go through puberty early. But uh, yeah, usually around there. That's why they will start pre-algebra sometimes in what would be seventh grade here, but you know, around 12 to 13. Right, because by then the kids can kind of get it. Yeah, yeah. And so they'll, they'll kind of get the that and stuff. Abstract thinkers see the world through representations with a worldview that everything relates to a generalized concept. Concrete thinkers, on the other hand, approach the world with data and facts. And it's important to note here that both of these are useful. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like all of these, and that's what we were talking about in the introduction, is like you may find yourself on one side or the other here. You may be more of an abstract thinker or more of a concrete thinker. I personally am more of an abstract thinker. I tend to think in generalizations, in concepts and things like that. That doesn't mean that I can't think in data and facts. Sometimes I have to. These are all skills that we can learn. And that's what we're going to talk about in the aftercast, actually, is kind of how to learn these skills, like some some uh, tips on how to learn these skills. Now, that all said, we do have sort of a natural tendency toward one or the other. Like I said, it's a spectrum. So you may fall just slightly on one side or the other. You may fall like I have some friends who are very data fact driven and they could wrap their brain around some basic abstractions, but not to the level that most software developers need to be for the object oriented stuff. You know, and the other side of it is, is I've got a lot of friends like where I grew up farms and stuff, and they are very, very amused at what the abstract thinkers from the big city, the way that they approach things, you know, like how many cows of X size will fit in this trailer. It's like, they're not all the same size. Like you can't do that. (laughs) Even though that abstraction is useful for some things, it it does not work in the real world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that's very true. Concrete thinkers tend to be drawn toward detail-oriented work where there's not a lot of room for interpretation, whereas abstract thinkers tend toward work that involves understanding the broader ideas, the bigger pictures, 
and and going from there. That doesn't mean they can't be detail oriented. Detail oriented is a little bit different than than that, but they tend to be broad down, like generalization down people. Right. I think the other thing too is it's very simple to think that concrete thinkers sometimes are less sophisticated thinkers. Yeah. But like if you're doing any kind of engineering, you may literally be thinking about concrete actually. That's <laughs> you true. Know? So, because uh, you, you have to deal with facts, not with just, you know, you can't deal with simulations and numbers for all the things. Like mm-hmm. you really have to know truth because the real world will catch a lie. Now, from a coding standpoint, somebody who's overly invested in abstract thinking might overuse generics, interfaces, and factories, while a concrete thinker will tend to repeat the same code every time that it's needed, possibly with little variations each place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rather than use an abstraction, they will just copy and paste, or some will maybe even retype the same code over and over. You'll see this in people as they develop their coding styles and start to kind of understand where they fall. The next one is creative versus analytical thinking. Creative thinking breaks the established rules and ways uh, things are currently done in order to come up with new and innovative ideas. It's about discovering solutions that aren't obvious. I guess because I'm a creative thinker, I, I read that and I'm like, well, everybody's going to want to be a creative thinker. But that's not always the case because some people really want to be analytical thinkers. But uh, the the creative side is about sort of going against the grain, not, I hate the word, the term thinking outside the box because I feel like it's so overused. Yeah, well, and it's it also has an implication that thinking inside the box isn't valuable. Yeah, it, it does. It does. And sometimes you have to think of both inside and outside the box. Or you think inside the box until you need to think outside the box because you're just trying to get stuff done. Yeah. A good creative thinker sees the box, thinks what's in it and what's out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But thinks in, in both areas and can then determine, hey, this is like, it's going to be easier on everybody if I stay within the box. So I can come up with a solution within the box, but if needed, I don't have to stay there. Uh, that's like, I guess, a mature creative thinker. And analytical thinking breaks down bigger concepts into their individual parts. It looks closely at the established process in a logical step-by-step approach. Yeah. So it's, whereas creative thinkers, they kind of go away from the norm. They're looking at, back to like, Similar to to abstract, but a little bit different. They're they're not looking to break a problem down within the confines, but they're looking to go, hey, what are all... Yeah, they're looking for signals, not assuming they have them. That's the way I would kind of think about that. Yeah, analytical thinkers, they look at the work at hand to see what needs to be done within the parameter set. Whereas creative thinkers seek solutions outside the confines of the set of parameters. And you really need both of these to be effective. Like we said, these this is a spectrum. So you're naturally going to fall toward one side or the other. I tend to fall toward the creative side on this one. That's why I like when I'm reading this, I'm like, why doesn't like everybody should want to be creative. But then I think about it, I'm like, yeah, but I've had to learn and almost force myself to be analytical at times where it was necessary. 
And you'll likely see more analytical thinkers in areas where, you know, things like security and stability are important. Mm -hmm. Whereas creative thinkers have a tendency to gravitate towards newer areas or places where they can explore. So when the JavaScript framework changes were like just the thing everywhere, you could tell how creative a lot of people were because they were really, really into the, whatever the newest thing of the week was. And you had more of the analytical types that are like, yeah, I'm not trying that till it's stable. In many cases, never trying any of it because they didn't, it didn't meet the definition of what they considered stable. And they were like, Hey, I can't, you know, with the parameters that I'm having to work under, I can't take this risk. Mm -hmm. I think about this. I have a, a good friend of mine and it's really funny because she does security. Like she has a master's in it. And um, we were both leaders on the tech team back when I was, was there. And she was over the computers. I was over the cameras. Big surprise. The analytical thinker was over the computers. The creative thinker was over cameras. Good friends, but we would butt heads a lot. And it was always about like, always on things like I was wanting to try something new and she was going, yeah, but like, how can we make that repeatable and stable and stuff? I'm like, we're not there yet. A lot of times I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to figure out if this even works before we even look at, is it sustainable or can I train other people on it? A lot of times, like I would say 90% of the times that we had disagreements, it was because of the way we thought on this particular spectrum. Yeah, I've seen this kind of recast in a different way as, as far as instead of being creative versus analytical as being explorer versus exploit. Mm -hmm. So like, hey, I want to try new stuff out here and, you know, go way out into unknown territory versus, hey, I've got this thing locked in here. Let me do the thing here with the variables I know. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to have a mix of that in any in environment, but that's maybe a better way to say instead of you know, creative versus analytical, because of course those terms are also loaded too, right? So yeah. it, it, whatever you say, it's going to be, you know, well, and whoever has one, they're going to look at the other and go, oh, that's negative. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's, it's not, it's just, it's a different way of thinking and you really do need both. Like as a creative thinker, I still have to be analytical. I have to use analytical thinking skills and work within the set parameters a lot of times. And it's something that you have to learn how to do. Understanding where you are can actually reduce some of your frustration and possibly some of your arguments with like managers who are like, no, you got to work within these limits. And if you're a creative person and it helps you to see that and to realize, Hey, I need to, for this, I need to work on these skills. Yeah. And if you're analytical and you're managing someone that's, that's creative, mm -hmm. what you have to do is go, okay, I'm not going to let you just go crazy on the creativity. Right. But what I will do is remove a limit in a direction. Mm-hmm or in a you know, particular area yeah. and like give them more room than you would give yourself. Mm -hmm. And you'll still probably get a better creativity oriented result, but it won't be like they're off in the weeds somewhere and I can't get control of the project. again. Yeah. The next one is sequential versus holistic thinking. So the path to sequential thinking is a step-by-step -step process that doesn't deviate from the prescribed path. It requires that the step you're on now be completed 
and have a response before continuing to the next step. This is similar to analytical. It's a little bit different. Like There's a lot of similarities throughout each of these, but they are slightly different. So you can be creative and sequential or analytical and holistic. And sometimes it, for a lot of problems, it requires you to be a blend of these. I would also say in a lot of cases, the programming innovations, especially like language innovations that you see, are a result of shifting from one to the other. Mm -hmm. So for instance, like your async and await constructs that you see like in in .NET or in in, um, TypeScript, those replace earlier constructs that were kind of built as more holistic, but they're hard to reason about for people that are like, hey, I'm writing code and I'm going... I'm going through here sequentially, but I got to think holistically. And so they switch, they switch the approach so that it works better with the sequential folks because the sequential people are like, you're thinking sequentially when you're writing the rest of the code. Yeah. So that's kind of how I've thought about it. Like all these things, like if you're at a pain point looking at something from one side, try to go that far into the other side and see if it fixes it. Now, in holistic thinking, since I mentioned that, the big picture Uh, or being able to at least see the big picture is a key. The word holistic is defined as taking into account all aspects or the whole of a thing or a person. No. Sequential thinkers tend to process information in a specific way, kind of orderly fashion. Whereas holistic thinkers process more systems of information and they see connections between clusters of thoughts and ideas. So like a holistic thinker, they are going to be more focused on the big picture. They're going to to see more, okay, this relates to this relates to this. And it may not be like, it may be jumping around between all of them, but they see like, see that. Whereas a sequential thinker is, okay, this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but I'm a bit of a sequential thinker. Yeah, I've had to learn to be holistic, but I think that is what ha- has helped me a lot with understanding programming, especially early on uh, when I was in high school. You know what I think it really helped you with? What's that? Music, right? Because you don't play one note after the other. It's like you got to play a note and think about where your fingers are going to be and what's coming up. Yeah, that's true. And you're true. moving two hands and you're doing, you know, right? Like that's a whole other can of worms and you can't, you know, you have two working threads with, wow, that was a really over, overly analytical way to put that. Um, <laughs> you are definitely an analytical thinker. <laughs> right. <laughs> You've got two, you know, two working threads with different resources and different constraints and timings that you have mm-hmm. to coordinate. And you can't do that in a purely sequential fashion. Yeah. What learning holistic thinking has helped me with, like I said, naturally, I tend to be more of a sequential thinker. You might well have been when you tried to learn to play earlier too. That probably didn't help you because you hadn't learned to mo- you know modulate that. Mm-hmm. More procedural languages draw in the sequential thinkers as the structure of those languages better maps to the way that they see the world. Uh, asynchronous languages, object-oriented languages, a lot of the the stuff that's more I would say newer mm-hmm. tends to bring in more holistic thinkers. But, you know, the thing about it is, is like you have to work at the holistic level when you're structuring stuff. But when you get down in the guts, you're you're doing linear. Yeah, it requires you to be a little bit of both. And you will have people who tend toward one or the other. 
I would say the more holistic thinkers probably don't stay as software developers terribly long. I could see them going more into like project management, um, product owner kind of thing where they see it more as the big picture, see like, or they put everything in the cloud where you can't do things sequentially anyway. And well, there is that too, you know, where where you have to reason holistically because you're communicating between different black boxes. No, no. So the, the last spectrum here is convergent thinking versus divergent thinking. Convergent thinking takes many disparate pieces of information, perspectives, or topics and finds the commonality in them to be able to solve a problem. It's all about connecting the dots of data scattered in what may seem to be kind of an incomprehensible fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so convergent thinking is taking all these bits of information and pulling them together into a cohesive unit. Divergent thinking is the opposite. It goes down all possible roads before choosing the one best solution. Maybe not always the best, but the one solution that works. It's about not ruling out any possibility until it is thoroughly thought out. Now, if you guys haven't picked up yet, the friend of mine's son who's in the group with me I was mentioning earlier, divergent thinker. Me, divergent thinker. We tend to go down all the paths, think about all of them. And uh, for him, he hasn't quite gotten to that that place where he can do that in his head yet. So it comes out a lot when he's like, especially when we're having a deep conversation in the group and he'll he wants to contribute. He'll start off and it'll go over here and here and here and here. And he'll kind of like start down a path and then turn around and come back. And eventually he'll get to some like he's a very deep thinker and he'll get to some really good stuff. You just got to be patient with that divergent way of thinking and like watching him process it. I'm like, Oh my goodness. It's like watching someone like talk what goes on in my head, (laughs) which I'm sure I used to talk more like that too. When I was younger, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's trying out all of those different things. Now, convergent thinkers will see patterns where other people do not. Divergent thinkers entertain and explore solutions that no one else would have even thought about. Mm-hmm. So they're they're both very useful, and really, it's a, they're both skills you need. You need to be able to be a convergent thinker and a divergent thinker, depending on the the time. Like we have a natural tendency toward one or the other. I would say, Will, you seem to me to be more like a convergent thinker. Like you're really good at pulling in bits of information and figuring out what's going on, making a picture out of it versus like, I mean, my thought on the divergent thing is if I can, I'm going to make the computer do that. (laughs) Right. Cause that seems like that's, it's more algorithmic versus like correlating fuzzy data. It's like, no, here's the set of options. I guess like the the way I was talking about the testing stuff earlier, right? Like if I'm testing, you know, then I'll probably you go down every single rabbit hole exhaustively. Whereas if I'm looking for uh, I'm smoke testing something, I do convergent thinking. Whereas if I'm testing for prod, I do divergent. Yeah, that makes sense. The thing with your divergent thinkers, they're great at brainstorming. So you want them in those brainstorming sessions because they can quickly come up with ideas and mentally explore those possibilities. 
and talk through it right then, right there. Whereas your convergent thinkers are best utilized when seeking out a bug, not always with the bug fixing, but with the bug finding. And really, a lot of times with bug fixes, you need to be a little bit of both. You got to be convergent to find the bug and divergent to fix the bug at times. And fix the bug without creating more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is another good example of that. Now, in the extreme, convergent thinkers discover design patterns in code, while divergent thinkers write their own languages to solve a problem. So we have a bonus for you guys. That is critical thinking. While the previous eight types of thinking have to do with the way that you process information or how you see the world, critical thinking is a set of skills that you can develop. It's your ability to rationally examine information and make decisions based on that examination. Gaining and improving on the skill of critical thinking will help you to make better decisions as you will have better information on which to base your decisions. It also enables you to move from passive learning to active learning. Yeah, so you're going to be able to go from just receiving information when it's presented to you to seeking it out by applying critical thinking. And just like any other skill, there will be people who have a natural talent for critical thinking. Don't let their natural ability dissuade you from improving your skills. I've seen this a lot in people like, I've been guilty of this, where I playing guitar is a skill and I saw people with natural talent, more talent than I have, and I was like, oh, well, I'll never be able to do this because I don't have their talent. Yeah, you also didn't see them practice. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just the other side of that too. That is very true, but there are people who do have like any kind of skill. You're going to have people who are just sort of naturally talented at it. Now, if they don't ever practice it or work on it, doesn't matter how much natural talent you have, you're not going to be good at it. So that's the the benefit of the skill is the more you work at it, the better you're going to get. And you can surpass people with natural talent who don't put in the effort. Yeah. Well, and it's very easy if you got natural talent, something to kind of rest on your laurels if it's good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Critical thinking is a process that includes several steps. These steps include things like identifying the problem that actually needs to be solved. Yeah. We really need to like go into this more in another you know, future episode. So yeah, I have a, there's an episode on the Kanban when I was writing this for going through the steps of critical thinking, which will have its own breakdown. But uh, just here, sort of an overview of them. Like you said, identifying the problem, then collecting information, data, opinions, that sort of stuff, depending on what, like what the subject is that you are you're thinking about. Then the the next one is evaluation and analysis of that data. So once you've collected that information, you gotta process it, go through it, look at it, determine what is relevant, what isn't relevant, and figure out what applies to what you're doing. You also need to determine which pieces of information are relevant and accurate, especially when you're doing anything with real-world data, real-world opinions, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. There's a chunk of stuff that you will collect that is not useful or is wrong. And if you don't have a step in there before you make a decision, you're making it on bad data. And the last one is reaching a decision or 
a solution to the problem. Like there may be multiple solutions. And so based on that information that you gathered, you have to go through and figure out what is the best solution or the best solution for you. Cause that might be different. Like the best solution for Will may be different than the best solution for me for a particular problem. So guys, while each of us tend to naturally gravitate toward one or the other on each of these spectrums, we're all able to learn and use the skills of the other as it's needed. This is far from a comprehensive list of all the ways that you may think, but it's a good starting point to better understand how you solve problems. Use this information to see not only how you think through problems, but to also see how others may solve problems and learn to work with different approaches. In the aftercast, we're going to discuss some various methods to help you improve your critical thinking. That pretty much wraps it up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, there's an old adage in computer science that everybody hears at some point, you know, garbage in, garbage out. And you know, obviously, if you are making decisions on bad data, your decisions are going to probably be bad as a rule. But one thing that we as technical folks very easily do, especially like in our personal lives and areas that aren't code related, is our response to something not working well is to go, okay, how do I do the process better versus how do I collect the data I need better? So a, a great example is financial stuff, right? You project that, hey, you know, I'm going to have $1,500 saved by the end of this month. And, you know, that way I can pay for my, well, I was going to say, your, you know, my trip somewhere, but I don't think a whole lot of people are planning trips. We, you know, kind of a lot of people got over that in the last two years. But what happens? Okay, well, all of a sudden you get a tax bill that you weren't expecting or you get some piece of maintenance has to happen on some piece of equipment you own, whatever. If you're surprised by that, yeah, you got a bad result, but you really need to go back and go, okay, how do I anticipate this next time so that my projections are more accurate versus going, oh, I just need a better program to look at my bank balance, if that makes sense. Like, try to focus on incoming data and improve that. Unless your algorithm is completely busted, that will get you further than actually having the best approach to life that's pretty much all i got stand by for titanfall if you have a question or comment please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com our theme music is an excerpt from stand by for titanfall by pure bells available on soundcloud and licensed through creative commons for references show notes and extra tips and insights be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at complete dev pod, like our page on Facebook and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.